I'm Jenna. Just Jenna. You don't need to know my last name, and I can't tell you anyway. My story is full of small lies. I've changed people's names. I've changed the names of places. I've changed small details here and there. But the big stuff is true. All of it. Their yurks are here, on Earth. And if they ever find out who we are, that'll be the end of the Fandalites. This is Brent. Hello. Uh, today we're here to discuss book six, The Capture, in which uh, Jake is worried about Tom, understandably because his brother Tom is a Yerk controller. But Jake's been having weird dreams of stalking Tom uh, while in a tiger morph, and he's sort of upset about that. So he's been spying on Tom a little bit more rigorously than he has in books past, and has discovered that Tom has been calling doctors, specifically doctors all coming from a specific hospital in town. So the group morphs cockroaches to spy on the hospital. And when they do, they uh, run into a meeting of Yurk controllers that includes Visor 3, where they overhear plans of a hospital that they have under their control. Their plan is to use the hospital as an infestation site, wherein they will turn about 200 people a month into controllers. More specifically, they plan on turning the governor into a controller, uh, thus giving them a very high-level government employee under their control. So with this knowledge, they morph into flies and infiltrate the hospital to uncover any more information that they can. And when they do, Jake, Cassie, and Axe specifically discover a jacuzzi full of yurks. They naturally attempt to destroy this pool by boiling it. And in the ensuing battle, Jake is shot at and falls face first into the yerk pool where he is infected. It doesn't take the group too long to discover that Jake is not quite right in the head, let's say. But the truth is revealed when he reacts uh, with extreme hatred towards Axe, their Andalite friend. They know that the only thing they can do is hold him captive for three days until the yerk dies of starvation from not getting Cadrona rays. More importantly, we discover from Jake's internal monologue that this yerk is actually Tom's old yerk. This yerk has been moving up in the ranks because he's a very competent yerk. And we are taken through a pretty hellish situation in which Jake and this yerk share memories and fantasies and all sorts of inner workings. After three days of failed escape attempts, the Yurk is starved out and Jake is freed. Just before dying, the Yurk reveals to Jake that there might be a more sinister explanation for the Andalites' involvement in the Yurk's conquering of the galaxy, but we don't get more information other than he should talk to Axe about the Andalites. Does that cover about everything? Uh, let's see. They, they plug in the jacuzzi Hand me down, Yerk. After three days, he rises again from the controller. Yes, I think that covers it. Uh, I wanted to share with you something that I've been working on since last week. Oh, uh, my God. Because, I mean, okay, because I'm still thinking about that description of Andalites that K.A. gave us in the last book that involves the fact that Andalites have 
like a horse neck and head with arms coming off the neck. I haven't been able to get it out of my head. And yeah, I can't either. And I've been looking at fan art and there's absolutely no fan art that accurately depicts it. It's all just like the, the book cover. We can't really be the first people to have noticed this. I don't know, Brent. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I started thinking, I, I looked up on the wiki and the wiki also did not have this information. So I was like, I kind of started to gaslight myself. Like I started to <laughs> doubt what what we had read so i had to go back and look it up and then i decided that you know you got to be the change you want to see in the world so if i want to see an accurate representation of uh, an andalite in the world i might have to be the one to get this ball rolling uh so i'm not great at drawing i am good at photoshop though so i've created this thing which i'm going to send you um and you can look at and we'll post this on twitter and tumblr so if you're not following us do follow us to to see this thing holy <laughs> fuck holy fuck Jenna. what have you done i can't unsee this now i really love it i want to do another one i want to do one that looks even less like a horse but we'll see we'll see what inspiration uh i get like, literally, my only complaint, I, this is 100% perfect, except that the arms are not beefy enough. Yeah, just super built, just a super built Andalite. Those fists. They're so defiant. <sighs> <laughs> I'm very proud of my work. Guess Jake's not the only one this episode committing more crimes. So uh, let's get ahead, go ahead and start talking about this actual book that we read this week instead of last week's Nightmare uh what kind of did you see any there, there were a couple parts that i expected to have changes okay well what i found uh was on page 39 the original mentions of vcr uh they changed it to tv so i set the vcr for two of my favorite shows they just changed it to tv oh, okay uh and then page 70 when jake is talking about a gift that he got for his mom classic spider-man comic book spider-man number three they just yeah. changed that to ultimate spider-man that's weird yeah that seems like an unnecessary update yeah that's such a weird detail to have changed i mean i think <laughs> i feel like every other change we've seen have been like yeah okay that makes sense that one's just i don't know yeah that one's a little a little off i you know what i'm gonna say i feel like this whole book was a little off <laughs> uh, well y you caught one that i missed uh yeah. that we were talking about a minute ago page 146 in the original, it says, like a computer transferring a document onto a floppy disk. They changed that to flash drive. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. unlike that Spider-Man to Ultimate Spider-Man. That's a change that I, I totally see. Maybe that's... maybe whoever was doing the changes is just a really big fan of Ultimate Spider-Man and wanted to, to get a little signal boost there. You know, kids these days just don't appreciate the classics, he mutters to himself while typing in the word ultimate and calling it a day. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm certain this is an intern at Scholastic making these updates. <laughs> Terrible. No, I just thought this, I thought this whole book was just a little boring. Until Fair. we got to, until we got to the part where Jake was actually struggling with the yerk and going through that experience of being a controller. I just thought the first part was him... It just felt like such a rehash of the first book that he narrates where it's him concerned about his brother, and rightfully so, but it didn't really seem to build on that at all. Jake has such a power writing, junior high schooler, perfunctory way of writing. 
uh, in his point of view books that he like gets nerve gassed essentially and almost dies and manages to make it just very like you could forget that that happened if if you hadn't just read it. He's writing a book report about his own goddamn life. It has that same sort of stilted style that I don't think we've seen. I I mean, even thinking back to uh, Marco's book, which did dwell even a little bit longer on the existential horror as well. Jake does seem a little bit like, yep, and then this is what happened, and then I was gassed, and then I was human, so it was fine. And We might need to get through another couple Jake POV books before I like make this my headcanon, but I'm starting to think that K.A. Applegate um, is just characterizing Jake as a particularly bad writer. <laughs> That's such a bold and weird choice, though. I like, know. From an authorial standpoint, that's a weird, especially since his book is the first book. Like, he narrates the first book. Uh, and so to choose somebody with such a sort of stilted way of writing is uh, bizarre to me. It's a bizarre choice. I just, I don't know how else to explain it, though, because you you read all the other character POVs, and they're, frankly, much better written. Yeah, they're a lot more engaging. They're a lot more introspective. When other people are relaying his actions, Jake comes off as way more dynamic. <laughs> he really does. And then when you crack into it, he's, I mean, and maybe that's maybe that's the problem I had is that Jake is still concerned about the same thing he was concerned about in book one. And despite everything, he hasn't had a lot of growth past that. Uh, I, I would say he pr- probably in the next book, he'll have a little bit more growth just based on the everything that happens in this book with him being in, being infected with his brother's ex-yerk. <laughs> yeah, the yerk hand me down. Yeah, yeah, the secondhand yerk. I thought it was interesting that the Yerk said that nobody, no host has defeated a Yerk, like no host has successfully ousted a Yerk from their brain. Because I'm really curious whether or not that's true and whether or not that's foreshadowing or if that's just like Yerk propaganda. Because if I were if I were a Yerk propagandist, obviously I would spread that information so that no Yerk just like put down their weapons and gave up, which is something that Jake says the Yerk more or less does. I sort of lean towards the no host. I lean towards it being true. If yeah. for no other reason, then I would assume if any host was going to be able to beat their controlling Yerk, it would be Visser Three's Andalite, a member of a species that hates them so much that they have like a physical reaction on hearing the word. I think that's a fair point. It, it seems weird to me to remove that hope you know, you know what? It seems weird to me from a the perspective of a young adult novel to remove that hope. It does not seem weird to me from a horror novel angle to remove that hope. Yeah, and it fits entirely with how dark these books are. Just really grim. Uh, and and getting more so this uh, this book where they boil the yerk pool like the hospital, which. One, let's just say that taking over a hospital and using it to infect new controllers is a way better plan than the sharing as a front. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a good strategy. This is the best invasion plan they've had yet. By far. And the fact that the fact that they even have like a governor coming in for a minor surgery and they are going to like swoop in and, and grab that guy while they can. That's that's a fucking good plan. Yeah, it's a really good plan. It's like obviously Visser 3 didn't come up with this plan. Yeah, no, obviously, uh, the Yerk that infected Tom previously, and then Jake now, uh, whose name was Tim Rash 114. Recently promoted. 
clearly a far better strategic mind than Visor 3. And now he's dead. So that's probably good. <laughs> yeah, that's good for Earth. That's good for the Andalites. Yeah. Uh, good for the Anamorphs. So yeah, so the hospital plan, way better. And it says something, I think, about the Yerk's presence, like how far they are into the invasion, that when this plan gets sort of turned over on them, they just sort of give up instead of trying it somewhere else. Yeah, I thought that was interesting it, that that once the Yerk pool, just all the Yerks were boiled alive in that mini jacuzzi pool that they had, they just sort of like shut down the entire hospital. And I guess that's part of that's part of a reaction towards knowing that the Animorphs were there and had infiltrated it. They couldn't possibly leave it open still. Also, don't forget these quote unquote Andalite terrorists broke in and boiled a bunch of Yerks alive. This is their 9-11, basically. Of course they're going to shut down the hospital. They lost one of their main strategists, the, one of the few competent Yerks that we've seen. <laughs> it's a big blow. But that also, that leads me to what Hecate was doing during this time. Oh, yeah. Talk about it. Yes. So I, I feel like I've been a little lax following her story the last couple episodes. So I made sure to pinpoint exactly what she was doing. And it was that she had uh, an email alert out on like Alta Vista or Yahoo or Ask Jeeves or whatever. Uh, Dog pile. Yeah, whatever search engine was popular at this era for any sort of weird animal occurrence incidents. And she discovers this when she goes to inspect the hospital. She sees that they're moving out. And so she waits and watches. And when she finds a moment, she walks up to a moving van, steals a file of personnel information, assumes that they're all controllers. And now she's going to start building a spreadsheet of everybody she knows is a human controller. Ooh. I don't know what she's going to do with it. I don't think she knows what she's going to do with it. But you've got to start somewhere. That's good. Step one is building the database. Step two is question marks. She'll get there. We'll get there as the, the story evolves. All right. Awesome. Thinking back to these novels as a horror franchise, this one seemed a lot more psychological horror than body horror, which is not what we've seen so far. I mean, so far it's been unending body horror with <laughs> yes. also a lot of psychological horror. This one seems almost entirely psychological. There was some Gregor Samsa level roach mm. body horror at the beginning, but um, it's mostly Jake in his own head, a prisoner in his own head, discovering what it is to be a controller. As we discover what it is to be a controller, just sort of this passive experience where he can still feel sensation, like he still receives sensory information, he can still see and feel, but he's powerless to respond. Maybe this sort of puts a new spin on Chapman just sitting there staring at the wall in book two. How so? It might not be that the Yerk that's controlling him doesn't have anything to do or doesn't care about doing anything. He may just be trying to break him, to bore him to death. I mean, maybe, because Chapman, human Chapman, seemed to still have a lot of life in him. And uh, this Yerk, Tim Rash, seemed really motivated to try and break Jake mentally so that he didn't have to concentrate so much on controlling him. Right. That's a really interesting angle. Yeah, I mean, I know if I was going to drive myself crazy, I would just stare at a wall unable to move. Yeah, or I mean, maybe he was, maybe he was like internally engaging with his human host. Because uh, we do, that's a lot of what happens in this book is this Yerk and Jake talking to each other and like experiencing each other, experiencing each other's dreams and fantasies. Jake gets a lot of perspective on the Yerk's sort of past lives, which I thought was really fascinating. Speaking of the Yerk experience, 
K.A. Applegate keeps setting up these sorts of parallels, like real low level parallels between the Yerk controller relationship and the Animorph acquired animal relationship. When mm-hmm. when the Yerk's taking over Jake, he gets this sort of passivity for a few minutes in the same manner that the animals do when they're acquired for a morph. There's this whole section when Jake is sort of reflecting on how all of the hosts that have previously hosted this Yerk have become a part of him and they're with him. And that's also sort of a parallel to how they always talk about how now they've got these animals that are part of them. And the fact that they can share that information, like this sort of dual brain uh, setup that they have as the the Yurkin controller really does mimic that sort of dual brain situation of somebody who is morphed and is struggling with maintaining control over this animal brain. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, because it's not the first time that we've seen that sort of parallel laid out in these books. It makes me wonder if there's going to be a payoff for that. Is Kay Applegate setting us up for some big reveal later. God, I hope so. I really I really hope that Cassie is vindicated in her ethical concern about morphing. I would love to see a payoff on that because I think that's really fascinating. I also thought this is just a callback to things that we've talked about in other episodes. I thought it was really funny that we've discovered that Tom was not actually a high priority target, but that he was an accidental acquirer because he was like chasing after a girl <laughs> and, and overhears some wrong information. It makes way more sense why yeah. they have a Yerk inside some teenager now. Yeah, no kidding. I think and that, that's something we talked about previously. Like you're going after teens and high school principals. Like, is that what you're... I feel like this book corrected that on multiple levels. Yeah, it sort of brought it around and said, oh, yeah, actually, there's a reason for this. Which I appreciated. Visser 3 we see in a human morph uh, for the first time in this book. And he obviously has had a lot more practice talking in his human morph than Axe <laughs> has, since he does not play with the words. Erds. Words. That was very Hamlet-esque. He's not got a lot of practice walking with two legs surely this andalite is not his first host right i mean that would be it would be really unlikely i i assume he had to have worked his way up or maybe it was another situation where this andalite fell face first into some sort of uh yerk pool although that seems crazy <laughs> a hospital on the hork bezier homeworld. it raises a lot of questions about how visor three got that body i mean don't get me wrong Having trouble walking on two legs definitely fits Visser 3's, like, promoted past the level of his incompetence (laughs) aesthetic. But other than the taxons, like, all the other species that we've seen that operate as controllers so far are bipedal. Uh, The the Hork-Bajir, the Ged, the humans, the taxons are the only ones that have multiple legs. So I'm at a loss here if it's just Visser 3 is an idiot, or is his host distracting him and some of the weird inability to deal with walking on two legs that Axe shows is bleeding over, I you would think that it would be a transferable skill. Yeah. Is all I'm trying to say. I think that's a good point. It also raises the question of how many consciousness consciousnesses ugh, how many consciousnesses are within that body when he morphs. When Visor 3 morphs, because you have the Yerk layer of Visor 3, you have the Andalite layer of the actual body, and then you have the third layer of whoever's, whatever animal's brain it's being dealed with. Maybe Visor 3 is a really shitty general, but he has really good control over his morph, so much so that he's able to control multiple consciousnesses at once, and that's why he has that body. That's a really interesting idea. 
That's the only thing I can figure out for why Visor 3 is possibly (laughs) at that level. No, that makes sense. If he's got some uniquely strong ability to wrangle more than one host mind at once, and that's why he's been able to stay in there when other people can't handle it. I have to assume it's something like that. I I mean, it it has to be a challenge because otherwise it, it would be, it's weird to me that there aren't more Andalite hosts. I just sort of assumed that they all kill themselves if it looks like they're going to be taken. They have that scythe blade just right there. The scene where Axe chops off a controller's hand with the, a flick of his tail really raised a question in my mind of what what can Andalite society possibly be like when everybody of all ages, including children and teenagers, have a weapon attached to their body that's capable of dismembering anything at any moment? Like, what is your society like s- super peaceful because everybody's armed? That's a weird, that's a weird argument. Yeah, yeah, that is. That's like a totally weird fucking argument to make that arming everybody would make for a more peaceful society. And I guess we see that the Andalites are pretty war based. So I guess that's not the case. I mean, we see that. I've heard that argument in real life. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't seem consistent with the universe that Kay Applegate is building. I mean, we do, although we do get that hint at the end of this book again, that the Andalites, that there's more to the Andalite story than we've seen, especially since we've only really gotten to talk to Andalites about what their society is and what their role in the war is. Yeah, and one of them's a teenager. Yeah, and one of them is a teenager who, by his own admission, does not pay attention in class. (laughs) Which... Okay, no, you're totally right about this. Their high schools must be horrific. Just bloodbaths. Yeah, like if you're a bully and you have a, a knife attached to your body at all times, how does that even play out? It sounds horrible. Definitely some kids are dying. It seems pretty likely. But I guess you also have, I guess there's another question here, and that's do the Andalites automatically have morph technology or is that something you have to like earn? Because I could appreciate... If I'm a teenager with a knife attached to my body at all times, if I'm Edward Scissorhands the teenager, I would probably avoid stabbing people if that meant I could get morphing powers. Well, Axe already has them, though, and he's a teenager. Oh, that's true. I mean, granted, he was on a warship. Maybe he got them, like, because they sent him to war. Maybe. Which, which, once again, we come back to why is this teenager on a warship? such an important question i hope we get an answer i hope this isn't another hecate situation where we just get no answers the answer to that has to tie in somehow to how their society deals with all being teenage knife dads (laughs) i mean it's a great question yeah, I'm looking forward to learn more about both of the both the Andalites and the Yerk societies, mm-hmm. uh, especially since this book hinted so heavily that there's more to be revealed. I cannot wait for the Andalite Chronicles. I'm not sure when the Andalite. I don't know when we'll do the Andalite Chronicles or the Hork Bashir Chronicles. I think there's also isn't there also the Illamist Chronicles? Yeah, and there's a I think a single book called Visser. Okay, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. We'll we'll find we'll find ways to work all those in and we'll let you know ahead of time so that you can read along if you're reading along. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh speaking of the Illamist, real quick, it, so when the Yerk starved to death, which I'll point out again is food based horror, thank you, thank you. Um can't have a single episode where we don't talk about food based horror. Food based horror, body horror, psychological horror is maybe a new one. Yeah, we got check marks across the board from KA this time. Um but when the Yerk is 
dying in its literal dying throes within Jake's brain, Jake gets a vision of some sort of blood red eye creature, like a creature who's mostly there's just this blood red eye. Uh, is that the Illumist? Is that possible? I mean, maybe. The thing is, I remember that the Elemist exists from reading these when I was a kid. I don't remember what it is. I have some, I recall what the Illumist is generally. Some For some reason, when I visualize the, the Illumist, I think of the Collector from DC Comics. Okay. And that the Collector kind of looks like an egg with arms, which makes me think that Either either that creature that they saw was the Illumist, and that's our first hint, or uh, I've just muddled up the visions. And you know, given uh, given how how incorrect my I- image of the Andalite was, uh, that could be that could be entirely wrong. And and I might be completely wrong about this, but I have this sense that there is an equal and opposite power in the Animorphs verse to the Illumist. Oh, sort of like the Aralu and the Ors in Star Control. I'll take your word for that one. <laughs> um, let, me, let me just read this part that we're talking about so everybody yeah. can get a good, a good feel about this. The Yerk shuddered. I could feel it. A physical spasm. My vision changed. I felt... It's hard to describe. I felt as if I were seeing through things. Into things. Like I could see the front and back and top and bottom and inside of everything all at once. And then I saw it. A creature. Or a machine. Some combination of both. It had no arms. It sat still, as if unable to move, on a throne that was miles high. Its head was a single eye. The eye turned slowly, left, right. I trembled. I prayed it would not look my way. And then it saw me. The eye, the blood-red eye, looked straight at me. So, yeah, what the fuck is that? I don't know. I will say, when I read it, it gave me... So, for for the listening audience, I suffer from night terrors. And a reoccurring aspect of night terrors is this horror of being seen by a monster. And the way it's described there is so very accurate to some some night terrors i've had so i i'm wondering if that's i'm super curious if ka has had night terrors or if she has spoken to somebody who has or if this is just a coincidence but i don't i mean after you've read that i don't i don't think it is the illumist i think i'm wrong it seems way more sinister than i remember i feel like the illumist makes them time travel or something like he's he's a santa claus type figure from uh, what i remember i remember him being super powerful and also super uninvolved yeah something like that well i guess time will tell whatever the hell this is i'm curious to see if jake tells the rest of the animorphs about this horrifying vision or about any of the things that he and the yerk shared my money is on him just keeping it under his hat yeah i mean that's pretty much what he's done so far with a lot of stuff so i wouldn't Mm -hmm. be surprised i remember the events of this book vaguely from uh from the first time i read it i'm surprised it's this early yeah, I thought I thought that it took a longer time for one of them to get taken. Why do you think that is? Do you just think that it's a really dramatic thing to happen this early? Yeah, it's an incredible escalation. I mean, it seems it's from the first book in which we saw Cassie captured and almost controlled. I, I think it's been on the table that this is going to happen. Right. It just seems weird that they dropped the sort of Damocles so early. In what is, I think, an otherwise unremarkable book like if if the book had opened with him falling face first in a jacuzzi and the rest of the book were their sort of engagement i would have been much more interested it still would have been written by jake though i mean yeah (laughs) it says something about the character's writing style that he's managed to make what is essentially the yurk's best plan for world domination so far and also 
the most damage that the Animorphs have actually done to the Yerks. Yeah. Boring. Because this is their greatest <laughs> victory so far. Yeah. They just genocided a bunch of Yerks. They committed war crimes here. And it does seem weirdly underwhelming. Yeah, because the, their previous big victories have been like, oh, we freed a single person. Yeah, uh, who we never hear from again. God damn it. Or, oh, we managed to not die. Yeah, successfully. Successfully. We saved, they rescued Axe. I would say that's their other big success. And that was a success. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's become a contributing member of the team. Um, he's managed to morph Jake and stand in for him. And his parents somehow didn't notice that. Yeah, that's shocking to me. It's it's also shocking to me that like if if Jake's parents don't think he's definitely on drugs, they're like bad parents. Because he's they they walk in on him naked behind the refrigerator with a roach motel stuck on his head. How do you talk your way out of that? What? Okay. He was in his morph suit, so it wasn't naked. It was bike shorts and a really tight t-shirt. Okay, okay, I guess that's fair. I just, for some reason, I assumed this is, since he was in his house, he wouldn't be wearing it. But um, that just makes me feel like a gross pervert now. <laughs> uh, and I feel really bad. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. But it's still... Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It's it's extremely... Uh, hmm. It's a, it's a question. I mean, we've talked before about what negligent parents they all have. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I feel like their parents not really noticing what's going on in their lives is perhaps a recurring theme in here. And I'm not sure that it's K.A. just portraying all parents as bad in the Animorphs verse. <laughs> so much as it is sort of purposefully playing to the teenager assumption and feeling that your parents mm. really don't understand what's going on in your life. Because <laughs> you're secretly fighting a war and can turn into animals. Yeah, that speaks really to my teenage experience. Yeah, I mean, everybody remembers that part of their teenage years when they're secretly yeah. fighting a war against aliens that your parents don't understand. Yeah, uh, and I then mean, DJ Jazzy Jeff plays you off. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, I think it it works for plot reasons, but I think probably you're right that there is that that sort of feeling that there's just a huge disconnect between what your parents think you and your life is all about and what it actually is and vice versa i mean if your if your friends are telling you to buy your mom spider-man comics <laughs> that, that's a two-way street god damn it marco so your pools smell like poop apparently <laughs> yeah uh there's a whole section where they're flies and they're flying around the hospital and they're smelling different things like oh yeah that's a banana peel i smell poop because it's a big joke that flies smell poop yeah, um, a recurring joke. I mean, that and the uh, the movie. Which I appreciate the call out to, both versions. <laughs> yes. I I had to go check if the Jeff Goldblum one was the most recent, like if they'd updated that, because I was reading the Kindle version. And, and no, that is, I'm, I'm just way older than I remember. But yeah, so there's, there's the scene where they're flying around the hospital and they're like, something smells like poop. No, wait, not quite like poop, like poop, but different. And it's the, it's the yerk pool. So like, Wow, gross. Gross, yerks. Yeah, it's pretty gross. I mean, it's already gross thinking about having yerks in your head, but if yerks smell like poop and they're also in your head, oof. I mean, think about how bad Jake's head must have smelled after he fell face down in that yerk pool. Uh, and then he probably didn't get to wash for like three days. Right, he's sitting in that, uh, in that cabin in the woods smelling like raw sewage and loving it. Uh, that's a new, okay, that's another layer of, of horror on the situation for me. Okay, I, I think, have we officially decided that this is actually a series of horror novels rather than a sci-fi oh, yeah. young adult series? Yeah, I yeah, it, this is for sure sci-fi horror. I, I don't think you can argue otherwise. It's just so right there. 
Yeah, and and they really seem primarily to be more focused on the horror aspect than the sci-fi. Yeah, I, I really get the impression that K.A. likes writing the horror more than she does writing almost any other part of this novel, this series. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've read anything else by her, really, except maybe like the first couple books of Everworld. Mm, I never read the Everworld books because I was so outraged that she was ghostwriting Animorphs that I protested by never reading them. I'm sure that we will have a whole discussion of that on the first ghostwritten books episode. Oh, God, yeah. Whenever we get there. Yeah, whenever we get there. But um, I I wonder if horror is like her thing. She's currently right now on her uh, release tour for her latest book, Wish Tree. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, so. we should look that up. I'm yeah. I'm really curious if she's written anything that's overtly horror, or if it's just uh, just sort of something that's a low key part of her novels. Well, the one other thing I thought was really interesting. Again, the the part of this book that was much more interesting to me was the uh, York controller section. But I thought it was really funny how defeated by nature the yerk was <laughs> like the yerk's very bad understanding of nature and forests and ecosystems and like what owls were and shit i thought that was really fascinating it was super interesting that this this galactic conquering species who's got at least three planets under their boot heel their reaction to earth is like you have way too many species why didn't you just stop at like five <laughs> And it was really funny. He was like, yeah, we had like a hundred different species on our home planet. Uh, So Earth is just gross and fucked up. You have so many animals. Why? It's really funny and also maybe sort of convenient from a a writing standpoint that Earth is unique in its biodiversity. And that it's such a common sticking point for the yurks like the yurks i assume at this point have been told by visor three like no animals fucking anywhere but they still keep being able to infiltrate and i assume that's just because like the yurks are just bad at animals well not to their credit they do notice the roaches inexplicably like hanging out there yeah, the four roaches clustered together. I mean, yeah, they, they are bad at animals, but also it's sort of hard to, when you include the insect kingdom in with animals, it's hard to escape entirely from them. Like, it's really difficult to remove every living creature from your presence. Yeah, and I thought them choosing to go as flies in a hospital was really was really smart. Like, a fly mm-hmm. morph is a really smart morph, because you can't go very far, but you're a fly, and nobody's going to pay any attention to you. Right, they're everywhere. Yeah. People don't even bother to swat them a lot of the time. They're everywhere, and they're hard to swat, and I mean, it's a good choice. Yeah. They I, are they're getting not like better mosquitoes. at this. They're not drinking blood, so nobody's going Ugh. to actively seek you out. And speaking of speaking drinking of, blood, uh, there's another fucking flea morph in here. Uh, Cassie is on Jake and just like drinking his blood. And they mention it and it's just sort of like a thing that happens that they don't seem to think is super whack. I'm not sure whether just none of them really care about the blood drinking or whether Jake just doesn't think it's weird. Is this just a Jake thing? It could just be that Jake doesn't care. Or it could be maybe it's a sign that they're coming to terms with the animalistic part of the consciousness when they're in morphs. Like, I know Tobias is, seems to be getting more comfortable with the fact that, yeah, he eats roadkill. Like, this is what he has to do to survive. This is just how, how, how things are. So maybe it's a reflection of a more pragmatic approach to morphing. And speaking of the Yerks being defeated by animals, I also thought their discussion about 
sort of the cultural weight of different animals being lost on mm-hmm. axe because they're all really grossed out by having to morph, morph cockroaches, uh, which I appreciate. Uh, yeah. But Axe doesn't have that sort of cultural knowledge of why that's gross. Right. He's not understanding why they are reacting as if he had to morph a Yerk. The, the revulsion isn't quite the same to him, which I thought was interesting. I, I, I appreciate that that sort of outside perspective on uh, it, the, the, the cultural context of different animals. In two books, book eight, it's an Axe POV, and I'm really looking forward to that. I want to see how Axe's writing style differs from his presentation uh, how he's presented by the rest of the Animorphs. I'm curious if we're going to get more insight into the the Andalite Yerk War, maybe some more history about uh, what what exactly is going on there. Yeah, I mean, we might have to wait for the various side story series, which is fine because those are coming up. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We'll have our first Megamorph between seven and eight. Seven and eight. Yeah. God. Yeah. So we got one so... more book, and then we're doing we're doing Megamorphs. So if you're re- again, if you're reading along. Keep an eye on that. Speaking of which, that's. Do you have anything else? No. Okay. All right. Then that's going to do it for us this week. Yeah. If um, this episode seemed a little choppy, it's because I thought this book was a little choppy. Yeah. Our discussion of this book was a little choppy. There wasn't a lot that we pulled out of it that we thought was worth discussing. Yeah. Hopefully, your experiences were were more varied. <laughs> yeah. Let us know uh, what we missed talking about because I'm sure that we did. Yeah. Part of. Part of me when I was reading this was just like, oh, am I am I just not am I just not in the the Animorphs mood today, or is there just so little here? So if you have if you have a perspective on that, I would love to hear it. You gotta never not be in the Animorphs mood. I can't help it. If you have an, if you have a, a perspective on that, yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, that's at Fandalites. Uh, or Tumblr, Fandalites.tumblr.com. Or you can email us Fandalites at gmail.com. Uh, or you can go to our website, which is Fandalites.com. Yeah, all this stuff is linked on there. Uh, you can find links to the books if you want to buy them on Kindle and follow along. Mm-hmm. Recommended. Uh, so, yes, recommended. That's the best way to listen. So uh, for everybody that is reading along with us, book uh, next week will be book seven, The Stranger, uh, which is a title I'm pretty sure she stole from Camus. Uh, and then after that, it will be our first Megasode. Get that dude downloaded and, uh, and get to reading. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of our theme music. You can find his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. And we'll see you next week. Remember, folks, nostalgia is a drug.